to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another season of Sluts and Scholars. How are you all holding up? I know you can't actually answer that, but actually, how are you doing? I often ask my clients, how are you actually doing, since we are so programmed to say, good, fine. I'm personally doing okay. I'm feeling a little burnt out on life. I got my first vaccine as a therapist, and I'm about to get my second My private practice has been full for this whole last year, so I'm feeling really grateful for that. But a lot of my colleagues are full too, so it's pretty obvious that a lot of folks are needing extra help these days, including myself. I am happy to be back with you, though, slutty scholars, and I hope that you enjoy this season. I have some awesome guests lined up for you and some amazing sponsors. I know discounts don't fix everything, but make sure you check out our sponsors this season. All the products have been tested and enjoyed by yours truly, and I hope that they'll bring you some affordable self-care options and joy. And remember that the more you support the advertisers, the more I keep getting to do this podcast. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am honored to welcome a colleague of mine, Jennifer Littner. She has over a decade of experience working, studying, and teaching in the field of sexual health with a specialization in sex therapy, sexuality education, and helping people thrive in their intimate relationships. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and sex educator whose passion is helping couples individuals and families navigate sexual concerns. She also works supervising clinical trainees in the marriage and family therapy program at the Family Institute at Northwestern University and is an adjunct professor at Adler University in the Department of Counseling and Couple and Family Therapy. And the list keeps going on and on, so check her out, check out her website so you can know all the awesome things she does. Um, But welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we're finally doing this. This is my first podcast recording of 2021, um, so hoping hoping that it will be better than the actual start of 2021. Seriously. <laughs> okay, so one educational platform that you've created is called Building Ease, talking about the birds and the bees. Um, tell, tell me about that and, and how it got started. Yeah, yeah. So Building Ease, talking about the birds and the bees is a class. There's six lessons involved, and it's a virtual class that's pre-recorded. They're short videos, um, easy to follow, and it's designed for parents and caregivers who want to learn about how to talk about sexuality with their children um, or their youth in their home. And it's we've broken it down into developmentally appropriate concepts. So whether you have a toddler in your home, whether you are, you know have children in elementary school, middle, or high school, we share different um, information that can be presented at different stages throughout the life course. And um, there's also an interactive component so that uh, parents and caregivers who are participating can post questions in the forum. We have an like a private forum where they can interact with me. Um, they can share success stories, things like that. 
And so this is the um, as a platform that, that we created this year. And um, it was based on an original curriculum that I used to facilitate in person in the Chicagoland area. And then we developed it into an online course because we know that caregiver schedules are so limited. And it's such a, you know, nowadays it's even harder to, to make that happen. Um, so, so we transitioned it digitally and um, it was really inspired by uh, caregivers' conversations with myself and with one another about feeling unsure of when to have these conversations. What do I share? How much do I share? When do I share it? And all the kind of questions in between. And what would you say is like the most common reason why people struggle with these conversations or how to know what to say and when? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is fear. Like I'm going to screw it up. Um, I'm going to say the wrong thing or fear that they just are going to share too much. Um, and, and also like there's, there's a lot of kind of internal sexual scripts people have about talking about sex and that being something that's too, that's inappropriate or that they shouldn't do or shame that's involved in that. So I think that there's a number of reasons, but those are the ones that I think come up a lot for people. Yeah. And if you've had no sexual education or been like forced to look at how you feel about sexual things and then being expected to teach that to another person who depends on you. It's so daunting. And I, I don't know. I'd like to say to parents that like, you are going to fuck it up Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not, not meaning like you're, you know, I don't have faith that people can learn things, but like, just like in relationships, I feel like there's always going to be times where you say the quote unquote wrong thing or it gets interpreted in a different way. And so when I think about that, to me, it's more about what's the what's the corrective experience after mm-hmm. and how do you revisit it? You know, it's not just one talk where there's all this pressure. Mm-hmm. And then if you do it wrong, your kid's fucked up forever. Right. Exactly. And that's something that we talk about directly in the course. We have a a video called uh, Managing Awkwardness and just kind of getting through the initial hump of of starting this conversation. Because for a lot of caregivers, they might have felt like, well, I I think I talked to my child about X, Y, or Z earlier on in life, but like, do they, do I need to add more? What, you know, what else am I missing? Um, And it can feel awkward to go back and revisit some of those things or start if you feel like you are too late in the game to start, which is truly not the case, but um, it is a fear that some people hold. So I do think that that's a really relevant piece. And it's, it's a series of conversations throughout the lifespan. You're right. It's not a, it's not a, um, a spiel that they're giving once. So it's an important consideration. I mean, obviously there's enough answer to this question that I'm going to ask that could fill a class. So I'm not expecting like a whole <laughs> rundown unpaid. Uh, but what are some like age appropriate things for different like age groups? Yeah. Um, and cause I think at least in the therapy community, it's often like what signifies like trauma or that something's wrong or what's normal sexual development. Yeah. So I think with like toddlers and pre-K, we talk a lot about safety and touch and, um, being able to talk about like bodily autonomy and what is safe touch, what is unsafe touch, touching one's body, consent. Those are things like at that stage. Um, 
Whereas like when children are in kindergarten, you know, building on the consent in different language, talking about where babies come from as a common time to discuss that, um, body parts. The stork, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, if you think about it too, it's like sometimes kindergartners are often have caregivers in their lives who are expecting because it's common time when parents will have another child perhaps or their friends parents will so it's very relevant um, at that stage and then moving on into like I talk about it in grades level so like grades one to three talking more about like gender identity and expression um, gender role stereotypes things of that nature and in puberty um, and in bodies as they are kind of getting into grades three to five expanding on that um, and then really I think the focus can be on a lot of different things but healthy relationships are really important to talk about as they're entering middle school um, so grades like six to eight and then in high school, it's really a lot of focus on sexual health, um, sexual desires, pleasure, contraception, um, access to care, how to be a sexually responsible person, things like that. I love that you said pleasure. And obviously, I agree that that's a crucial component of, you know, teaching sex education to, to kids and teens. Um I imagine if parents are looking at your curriculum, they might already be sex positive enough to like care about some of this mm-hmm. stuff. But how do we how do we convince other people that like pleasure is important and safe yeah. as opposed to like something that's going to make that be more dangerous for your child? Yeah. Well, I think about how there's pleasure is such a natural part of life and often informs a number of the things that we do, right? Like we we don't desire things that are uncomfortable. We desirable things. We desire things that are pleasurable, um, right? So there's a reason why people enjoy chalk chip cookies or massages or bubble baths or whatever it is. Watching binge watching Netflix. Like we do these things because they bring us pleasure. And it to not talk about that is is it doesn't make any sense really. Um, and so I think what it's this concept of pleasure, but also being responsible for your own pleasure and how to be a responsible human while engaging in pleasure, right? If you're watching Netflix for 30 hours a day and you're not sleeping and you're not working and taking care of yourself, you might not be being responsible as a, with, with that pleasure. Same, like similar to if, um, you are engaging sexually without talking to a partner about STI status or um, making agreements around what kinds of um, contraceptives you plan to use or barrier methods, et cetera. So I think that it's important to talk about the that pleasure is a natural part of this experience and not including it is really, um, it, it really doesn't make any sense. And one thing that we have to consider for this generation of sex education is social media, Um, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, you know, TikTok, whatever. And so um, is that something that you talk about with, you know, in the course and and what are some things that people need to to keep in mind around safe media use? Yeah, yeah. 
It's a great question. We have an entire lesson dedicated to navigating internet safety and pornography. And in that lesson, we talk about what does pornography mean, how to define that, sexually explicit materials, and also learning for caregivers how to respond without reacting. So we talk about reactivity and how a lot of times caregivers have a high level of reactivity when this happens and how that can often be um, when when a child hears that, they that will translate to shame um, or anxiety. And instead, we talk about how to respond in a thoughtful way while also helping set boundaries and teach them what they need to know. So we talk a lot about that um, and navigating. So what would be the difference between like reactive versus responding? Mm-hmm. So when we are responding, um, we are responding from a place of um, and, and of our own intelligence and thinking about things in terms of um, our child's best interest. And also um, we're kind of managing our own level of reactivity. So the reactivity, meaning the kind of emotional intensity that we bring to it. So it's not so much that um, we're not going to have a reaction. We are. Um, but the reality is we need to learn how to um, process that reaction and then share the directive of what our child needs to hear in a way that they can hear it without the, that reactivity involved. So it might look like, um, you know, if the reaction is, oh my gosh, my child's saw you know, some sort of sexually explicit media, what are the, like, how am I going to navigate this? They They're scarred forever. forever. Yeah, exactly. Um, There's so much fear wrapped up in that. And the child doesn't need to hear the fear, right? They do need to hear, they need to process this with the parent. You know, as the caregiver, you you know, it's more about, tell me a little bit about what you were seeing. What was it? What was coming up for you? You know, what was, what was this like? Um, You know, where did you encounter this? And this is something that is really meant for adults. And there can be some you know, there can be some harm in, in looking at this. If it is something that's, that's dangerous, you know, let's talk about some ways to some more appropriate young adult novels to look at or whatever the more appropriate option is um, for that child. So it's, it's, it's more about like the emotional reactivity. That's so tough. Cause it's like, who decides what is appropriate now? And what I think is appropriate might be different than like what you know, a client's parents of mine think is appropriate. And it's so, feels so subjective. Mm-hmm. It, it does. And so I think one of the things we talk about is using a med- media literacy approach when talking with young people about sexually explicit materials. So understanding that um, a lot of the materials out there are made in, in ways that don't always showcase what is most common in real life. So consuming, understanding that as a consumer, when you're, if you're seeing something, you're reading something, you're watching something, um, the reality of what you're seeing may, is going to have an impact on you. You may think a lot of people are getting their sex ed online these days, right? Um, And so being able to help teach teens about what they're consuming and just that that's the real, like how that differs potentially from what is happening in real life or how it's similar depending on what it is. So I think that could be another important component. 
I feel frustrated as a practitioner and I would, I would love to share like some stories with you, I guess about, I don't see a lot of kid clients mm-hmm. uh, anymore because of my, my focus mm-hmm. as a sex therapist and my sex positive approach sometimes comes at odds with legal ramifications. And so what I mean by that is I've seen kid clients who I hear them doing something that sounds, um, you know, understandable, normal, uh, way of sort of exploring their own sexuality, but as a mandated reporter, meaning that I have to report certain things as do you Mm -hmm. as a therapist, um, there are some things that are legally reportable that parents know about that I don't think are sex, you know, sex positive at all. And so in addressing them, it is sort of like teaching shame. So like, for example, at least in California, if a 13 year old is having consensual, some kind of consensual sex play with a 14 year old, it's reportable. Wow. Which is like so wild to me because they could both be 13. And then as soon as the one partner turns 14, technically it's reportable. Um, And so in my head, I'm like, oh, that sounds like normal, same grade, whatever exploration, yet we're sort of teaching that this is something that's, you know, not okay. Um, Or if they're posting, you know, pictures and things on Instagram that are sexy, sexual in nature, it immediately goes to like, this is child pornography, as opposed to, um, you know sure, maybe there are things to think about there and safety concerns to think about because anyone can access that stuff. But also, um, yeah, I I wonder if that comes up at all with the parents of like how to to talk about safety and potential legality Mm -hmm. issues and reporting issues for child abuse, child pornography, while also being sex positive. Like it seems so complicated. Yeah, I think that in regards to what you're sharing that a lot of times we're quick to put a label on things and this idea that you know so legally in that case you're describing like that is considered child molestation or child pornography whatever the yeah well the one with the age thing i guess would be considered technically non-consensual because of the age the age difference or Mm -hmm. whatever and so it's reportable because of the age Mm -hmm. difference and what the age in which the law decided that they are not able to consent. So, right, or that it's too old mm-hmm. or not old enough or yeah. whatever. So, I think this is where, like, the sex positive approach would really talk about affirmative consent. And if a 13 and 14 year old are exploring and caregivers are aware that they are exploring, I think it comes down to talking about consent being a practice in that relationship. I don't make the laws in California. I don't, I'm not a practitioner in California. I wish you. I wish you did make the laws in California. I think they'd be different. Be a lot <laughs> Maybe one <Right>. day. <laughs> and so, uh, hopefully, not all parents doing this are mandated reporters like I am. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and I should also be clear that I work with teens in an educational capacity, but I don't see them in my clinical practice either. So, um, I'm speaking at this from like my educator hat, but. Yeah, and how to talk to parents yeah, about it. Yeah, that it's really important to talk about consent and how that is practiced, right? So are they, t- like, if they're kissing, for example, or they're, um, 
engaging in like fondling or touching one another? Like what, what is that consent looking like between the parties? Like, are they talking about this beforehand? Have they talked about what the, um, you know, the, do they, do they feel ready for this? Is there pressure to be engaging in this from one partner, another, or, um, external sources? These are things I think are important to have an understanding about, um, because those are things that are, really more rooted to healthy sexuality than the, the law than that self. Um, you know, if, because if some, if two parties are consenting um, to being sexual with one another and, you know, especially if, if the caregivers are aware of um, them dating or whatever it is, that's, however they're defining their relationship to me, that just, that doesn't seem like it's a predatory type of relationship. And that's, probably not why that law was put into effect, um, if I had to guess. And again, I, I need to understand that a little bit more from... Yeah, um, I need to understand it more. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's this is about consent and affirmative consent and um, teaching youth about the things that they need to know so they can be sexually healthy adults. And not every 13 and 14 year olds are sexually active, especially the same way that a uh, 30 and 31 year olds are sexually active. So I think it's just important to be teaching those skills and affirming those with children. And how much privacy should we be giving? I guess it depends on the age, but privacy is something that also comes up around like teens want independence and privacy and maybe aren't so keen to share things, even Mm -hmm. if they know their parents are safe to share with. How much are we pushing parents to know what's going on while also respecting that newfound autonomy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the part of this is going to be um, based on one's own values in their family. Um, There's as it relates to privacy, you know, I think about like having locks on bedroom doors, who's allowed mm. in spaces, things like that. Some of that's right. going to be family to family or household to household. Or checking social media. That's yeah, another one. Transparency. Like, do you have access to your kids' social media yeah, accounts? Yeah, yeah. I think being really clear with boundaries around what what is privacy and what is secrecy and how those things are different are important. And while um, giving, giving children privacy to get dressed, you know, themselves, right. And to bathe themselves and to shower themselves and to th- things like that. And, and with, with teens, like giving them privacy in their knowing that their, their own room is their, is their space. Right. And also understanding when times in which caregivers might need to be aware of certain things to help protect their safety. So, this comes down again to it, it's an individualized thing, but it is important to talk about as a caregiver how your role is to help keep your child safe and and take care of them, but also to give them the space and privacy to let them grow and explore on their own. Because they're, if without either one of those, right, like if we talk about extremes, that that's what's going to lead to like an unhealthy developmental uh, mm. piece. And so right? Like if, if, if a parent is, is extremely involved to the point where they're not giving their child privacy or there's no, there's all privacy without any protection or involvement, both of those are lands that are not great to be in. So, you know, I think it's just about having the balance. 
And yeah, finding that balance, like you said, is subjective mm-hmm. and, and culturally infused and complicated yeah. and maybe take some time to figure out what the fucking good balance yeah. is. Yeah, it's hard. And it, I there's not like a one size fits all approach for everyone. And I think, you know, I, I would be reticent to share that because I think it would be, there's going to be nuances for every single family. And so that's what I would, I would want to understand, you know, that on a case by case basis. But it sounds like for your course, creating ease that it's about starting and continuing the conversation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so that will take time and balance and trying things. Mm-hmm. I imagine, like you said, maybe there's some factual stuff, obviously that you're teaching and ideas, but, um, there's no 100% right answer. Correct. Yeah. And one of the things that we really guides this process and has guided uh, an important framework that I've learned in my training is this idea of error activated learning, meaning that we learn through our experiences and we learn from making errors or mistakes. And the, the opportunity to really grow is when those things happen. And so it's not, oh, I'm a failure. I, I, I reacted instead of responded. No, it's how do I go back to that moment and talk to my child and say, look, earlier when I mentioned this, I was I was flustered, I was scared, I said something in this way, and I I I wanna re I wanna redo, right? I wanna do this again and I wanna say it differently, and I want you to hear that. Um, and let's talk about how you're feeling about this. That sounds like great relational modeling for for kids. Mm-hmm as well, because you're saying like, we can communicate about this. We can name what just happened. Mm -hmm. We can take a break and then reassess and come back to it. Mm -hmm. It's really important to approach all all these topics instead of avoid them because essentially whatever patterns we are going to be fostering with youth are going to be ones that are going to carry on into their relationships later on in life. And so being able to say, look, we get to have a redo. We get to talk about what just happened, how it didn't feel good to either of us and process that and your feelings are valid. That is so valuable. And and something that is important relational work that that hopefully that they can utilize and carry out in their intimate relationships moving forward. Okay, slutty scholars, listen up for some discounts. And remember, the more you support the advertisers, the more you support the podcast because I couldn't keep doing it without them. New Year's resolutions can be tough to maintain. One way that I have found them easier is using a meal delivery service. I am super busy and it helps to have yummy food that is ready to eat. Introducing Saqqara. Right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off of their first order when they go to saqqara.com slash S&S or enter code S&S at checkout. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash S&S to get 20% off of your first order. Sakara makes organic, ready-to-eat meals that are made with powerful, plant-rich ingredients, and they're designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. Sadly, they're only available right now in the U.S. Sorry, international listeners, but maybe they will expand soon, especially if you leave them some nice reviews. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Saqqara also offers daily wellness essentials for optimal nutrition. Saqqara's supplement packs called The Foundation and their Metabolism Superpower 
super powder, <laughs> superpowers would be awesome. Deliver support for gut health, energy, immunity, and healthy skin. Uh, I'm not vegan and I really enjoy their meals. So that should tell you something that they are quality. And it's like eating a rainbow because every meal is so colorful. Plus, they have new menus every week, and right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off of their first order when you go to sakara.com slash S&S or enter code S&S at checkout. That's S-A-K-R-A, sakara.com slash S-A-N-D-S to get 20% off of your first order. Sakara.com slash S&S. And while you're feeding your body, don't forget to feed your mind and soul. Welcome back to Dipsy, and thank you, Dipsy, for continuing to support the podcast. I love and appreciate you so much. Dipsy is an audio app that is full of short, sexy stories that are designed to turn you on. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to dipseastories.com slash S-A-N-D-S, dipseastories.com slash S-A-N-D-S. Especially in a long-term relationship, I need something more than, hey, want to fuck to get me in the mood. I love listening to Dipsy as a way to start some all-day foreplay. Sometimes I'll listen to it, and that's enough for me. Other times, it's for self-pleasure or to help me warm up for partnered play. They also have wellness and sleep and amazing nature soundscapes that I turn on to go to sleep to. Basically, it's my go-to for winding up and winding down. So Dipsy is offering that 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to dipseastories.com slash S-A-N-D-S. dipsystories.com slash S&S. Now, back to the episode. Well, your course is super valuable, and I am excited to say that um, Jen has been willing to offer a discount for listeners of the podcast. So if that sounded interesting to you and you are already a caregiver or planning to become a caregiver, um, you can now get 20% off of the class that we were just talking about, the building ease, talking about the birds and the bees, using promo code sluts and scholars at checkout. Um, and that will be valid through the end of February. So again, go check out building ease. Um, I'll include a link in the show notes and on social media and use the promo code sluts and scholars. But Jen, thanks for, for offering that. I'm excited to, uh, to use the code myself. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad to um i'm glad to offer it i hope that we get to spread more awareness about it so stepping away from kids Mm -hmm. uh for a bit because well kids are one of those things obviously along with many other things that can get in the way of keeping things hot in a long-term relationship (laughs) so this kind of leads a little bit to my my next thing that i would love to talk to you about and that is how we keep things hot, passionate, whatever word you want to use in long-term relationships. And this is something I've talked about ongoing on the podcast because I think it's something I am eternally curious about and that listeners are and clients are eternally curious about. I don't even know where to start with that other than like, what are some ways that we can keep things exciting once that newness fades? Because it's Oh, it's hard. You you can't get back what you had at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And I think that right there is a myth that a lot of people hold on to. Like, I want to be able to recreate what we had. I want to go back. I want it to feel like those butterflies I felt when I first met my partner. And that right there is 
it's so lovely, right? But it's so not ideal. Like it's very idealistic, right? And it's not, um, we know that love and relationships change over time and you can still continue to have passion in one's relationship, but it's not going to take on the same effect that it did at the very, very beginning because of just your familiarity with one another and your history together. It's just not the way that um, that works. So in regards to how to do that, that's a really big question. And I think there's lots of different ways to do it, but I don't know if you had the same uh, teacher that I did about like, it was like the kind of like our physiology anatomy class at Widener. <laughs> and um, I remember her talking about that in order to recreate the same hormones that you have at the beginning, you'd have to like eat 10 pounds of chocolate in one sitting or do like X amount of cocaine in order to like get that same hormonal response that one had at the beginning of a relationship. Yeah. That was a very, um, like large dosage of whatever the stimulant was in order to recreate right. that, that same hormonal effect. So I, I do remember, I'm not sure if it's the same instructor, but the topic feels very familiar and resonant. Yeah. So I think one thing that I really encourage people to do is find like a, a ritual that they can create around reminiscing. Um, so maybe it's, favorite memories that you've had with your significant other from when you were um, the first year of your relationship. Usually that's like the honeymoon phase within that period of time. And thinking about moments that you were you connected in the past, if it's sexual intimacy specifically, thinking about moments where you connected um, and throughout your relationship and really like the, the hottest of the hot, right? Like the, the moments that were the most sexually exciting, like what were those? Why was that so hot? Can you reminisce about that time? Um, and I would add to like, like you said, really get into detail about yeah. that, but not just like logical details, but like body details. Mm -hmm. So like, how did it feel in your body? What were the sensations? What was, what did it smell like? What did it, yeah. you know, like really getting into those like powerful body memories? Yeah. Yeah. The more we can do that, the more we can have that, um, that sense internally and recreate those feelings. And I think, um, I think about like storyboarding and like creating a story, like as if you were an author and you're writing this book in a short story, which can also be a really powerful exercise for, for folks is to um, really write out or narrate in detail the story there, whether it be a, a love story or um, a sexual encounter that they had and to really evoke some of those sensations because that's, that's key for sure. Um, so that's one thing that can be helpful I think also just, you know, having ways to engage in novelty um, is is a really powerful context for a lot of people. Um, and so that will look different from for partners, depending on what their um what 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 feels novel yeah, to them. Yeah, what feels novel to them, or or I was gonna say what their default sexual style looks like now. Um and um just maybe it's getting a new new pleasure device. Uh, maybe it is um, taking a class together virtually. Um, maybe it's watching an erotic film together or reading erotic stories together. I mean, there's a lot of different things that one could participate in. Um, maybe it's Maybe it's talking about fantasy for the first desires for the first time if you've never voiced what you want. Yes, exactly. Fantasies, 
um, the fantasy, the things that you are afraid to share, right. Or identify for yourself. I think doing that work is really important. Um, and I think that there's also some piece around like just exploring what you don't know. Cause sometimes people are like, well, I think I've, I think I've done everything that I, I could possibly think of. And I already know what my partner likes. Exactly. Like I, I'm so assured of what, um, of, of my sexual life. And I know exactly like it's, it's very predictable. Okay. Well, is it possible that there's something you've yet to explore or yet to understand? And I really love the Sex Explained documentary on Netflix, which a lot of people have Netflix, so it's an accessible resource. Um, but there is one on sexual fantasies, and I think it's fairly well done in the way that they approach research-based information in a digestible way on a variety of topics. So I think that can be helpful in terms of like looking out for resources that would teach you about something you uh are not maybe as familiar with. When is it time? And I guess this isn't for us to decide for, for other folks or for clients or for friends or whomever, but when is it time to call it quits? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess there's sort of this question between, yes, it is totally normal to struggle sexually in your relationship and it does require effort and energy and consistent mm-hmm. work to maintain sexual connection. So just putting that out there, I think a lot of people think when the spontaneity ends that, you know, something's wrong and it's done. Mm -hmm. And so I can objectively say that that's not true, but for the subjective part of like, is there a time when the sex is so bad or you've forced it so much or you've tried so much where it's kind of like, let's step away from this relationship. Yeah, that's, that's a really important question. And, and it's a hard one to answer. But I think that one of the things we look for are people's level of resentment towards one another. And, um, you know, is, is this something that you've worked, if, if you truly tried everything, if you've gone to relationship therapy to address this, have you spent and really done your homework. Really done your homework. Like really invested, not just like your time of showing up. It's but your energy and your resources and everything that you've feel like you have to give. And is um, I think that that's an important piece. And also, again, that resentment piece. Like, is is the resentment so high that you can't possibly let go of the fact that this is there's room for change? I mean, that's going to be a big indicator to me. And, and of course, resentment is something that a lot of relationship therapists help their clients work through. Um, but sometimes that is something that does impede relationship from continuing. There can be a divide where one partner is, is two feet in and the other one is, is one foot in, one foot out. And there are certain things that will kind of lead somebody to further in one direction or another, their commitment. And I think that that is important to assess for as well. Like if somebody is not really doing the work and one person is, that's also going to have a big impact um, on the outcomes too. I think the thing that I've really had to learn, I mean, I knew this logically, but that I've really had to like learn on an emotional level in my relationships is um, it can be so appealing to think of that fantasy of that newness Mm -hmm. of like, well, if I just trade this in for a new model with someone who doesn't know all my trauma and all my stuff and hasn't seen me take a shit or like whatever the thing, you know, whatever the thing is, um, it will be better. 
And sure, maybe it will be at the beginning. Maybe it will be overall, who knows, but time is going to happen and the same thing's going to happen in that relationship that was once new. Yeah. I'm a big, it's going to require work at some point. Exactly. I'm a big believer in um, our own relational patterns and being able to use self-awareness to guide our our patterns and our interactions. And one of the things that does happen a lot is if we don't do this work now in this relationship, let's say somebody is um, avoidant of sex because it because of shame that gets in the way or um, because they have a history of being rejected by their partner and it's just too painful to engage. Yes, you can forego this relationship, but this pattern of avoidance, if that's your default pattern and you don't do some, if you don't do work on that, that is going to follow you to your next relationship. And it might not show up in sex, but it might show up in other ways. Um, And so I think it is really important to recognize that Whatever the difficult patterns are, we all carry, we all bring something into our relationship and contribute to the dynamics between ourselves and our partner, our partners. And I think it's so important um, to be able to recognize that um, and, and do the work, the healing work to whether it be individually or relationally. I love that. So well said. Um, I think one of the things too, that potentially is a pattern that carries, and this doesn't this doesn't uh, cover all the nuances of like things I've talked about in past episodes, like responsive and spontaneous desire. And if you don't know what that is, feel free to hit me up and I can send you those um, past podcast episodes. But something that you know does get in the way in partnerships is something called desire discrepancy. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you define that? I define it as people, if if there are two partners in a relationship, there's a discrepancy or a difference between how much they desire, uh, specifically sex in this case. I will also refer, I I, I speak in a lot of metaphors because people who are uncomfortable talking about sex like to talk about other things that sound a lot like sex. So I will say that um, it's almost like one of your one partner wants ice cream once a week for dessert, and the other partner wants it three times a week for dessert. There's discrepancy in how much you want the ice cream, right? And for some, and when and when you want it, what time of day you want exactly. it, exactly, what um, flavor you want, how you how you eat it, do you get it in a cup or a cone, right. dipped in a sundae, etc. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly, and I think um, the other piece that we talk about too is for some partners or at some point in the relationship that discrepancy will can change it doesn't always stay the same um you know one person might maybe it's one in three times a week maybe it's once a week versus once a month once a month every other month i mean it can that discrepancy can change based on partners and there's not an exact frequency that is normal and healthy for every single partnership so how do we, knowing that that's what happens in pretty much every partnership, yeah. because you're not the same person, um, how do we navigate that? Yeah. Well, I think knowing that it happens and normalizing that this is something that's going to happen um, is important. A lot of times people don't realize that that's the case and they start to worry and believe that something might be really wrong with them. Um, it can also be a source of conflict. So. I would think about it in terms of creating more quality experiences instead of quantity, um, because we know that for a lot of people, it is 
having a, a really positive sexual memory will want them to continue. Um, to, you know, you, if you had a really amazing Sunday, you're going to look forward to the next time you have that Sunday, right? But if you had a really positive sexual encounter, it's um, it's going to help kind of boost interest and desire for another sexual encounter in the future. Whereas, yeah. Pe- I think um, researcher Peggy mm-hmm. Klein Platz talks about having sex worth having. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about is like, what, what is the quality and what does it take to have that quality and how that promotes wanting to have sex if it's quality? Yeah, we desire things that are worth wanting, right? We don't desire things that are uncomfortable, painful, et cetera. I think really um, focusing on the quality is so important. And a lot of times people do get hung up on the quantity. And when we focus on the frequency, I would encourage people to think about like what it means for them to connect as frequently as they want. Like, is this about um, something else that they're needing from a partner? Would it be um, validation? Would it be feeling um, a sense of connection, love, etc.? Or is this about what society says you should be doing? Right? Is it that you you read somewhere or you heard from a friend that they're being sexual with their partner? Um, um, three times a week, and you know now the, you're struggling to have sex once a week, and it's just you know it's, it, there you think that there's something totally wrong. So I would be really curious as to kind of what the underlying motivation is there is the, is for that there. And I think on top of that, how can we help the higher desire partner or higher libido partner, whatever you want to call it? How can we help them? deal with that disappointment yeah because I think understandably there might be some disappointment mm-hmm. especially if you are a person who um has been using sex for a lot of things in your life whether that be it makes me feel good about myself mm-hmm. it makes me feel like I'm connected with my partner it makes me feel loved it's the only place I can express myself right. to be quote-unquote rejected mm-hmm. or not have that it feels like someone is like holding the key away from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really important piece to consider in this conversation. And one of the things I think about is how managing disappointment is an important relational skill. Um, that we there are lots of times in a especially in long-term relationships where you'll have to manage disappointment. Um, I'm going to go back to the ice cream analogy, but if you show up and you really want your caramel brownie sundae and they're out of brownies and they're out of caramel, well, you're going to be disappointed, right? You're going to have to choose something else. Um, there, there are many times when partners are, their desire shows up at times where it's not really conducive to being sexual um, because people are on a conference call or dealing with children or out of town or whatever it is. And, um, or not in them or not in not the mood. In the, right. Or like food poisoning, right. Or just like not feeling well or intense fatigue. There's a lot of that happening in our lives right now. Um, yes. And so I think it's just really important to learn how, managing disappointment is an important skill. And also, yeah, it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be sad. It's not okay to make your partner feel, um, to, to, to try and berate them because they don't want to be, they're not open to being sexual at that point. So I think it's, it's important to understand like the difference between processing your emotions and being hurtful to a partner because you're feeling that way. Or naming the thing for you and knowing that it's okay to feel that way versus 
uh, putting it onto your partner to fix it. Exactly. Yeah. Like you, you rejected me. So now you have to initiate next time. And this is the only way it's going to be. And, you know, it gets Mm. very loaded and this is how the pressure creates and really escalates between partners. And I think it can be really damaging when we do that. So I I think it's important to yes, process and know that like everybody's entitled to their own pleasure. Um, and, you know, it, it sucks when a partner is not available to be sexual with you. I mean, it totally sucks. And I'm not going to like sugarcoat that experience. For some people, it's much more painful than the whole ice cream sundae example. So I, I think it's important to validate that for oneself and find a dialogue to process that without shaming or blaming one another. One way that I would say it, and then I would love to hear how you deal with disappointment if you're willing to share. Um, I'm still working on it. I think we all can still work on it. I think one way that I deal with it is um, trying to take a step back and asking what I'm really wanting Mm -hmm. and what I'm really looking for. So whether that be with sex or the ice cream or whatever it is that I'm feeling disappointed about is like, did I just want this thing for a release? Did I want this because I was feeling disconnected from my partner? Did I want this because I was bored? Did I want this because I um, wanted to feel sexy? Did I want this just because I'm feeling like a physical desire? Mm -hmm. And to me, that can help inform me of where I can maybe um, firstly acknowledge that need and then maybe in acknowledging it, like there's a phrase someone used recently with me, which is... um, name it to tame it (laughs) where it's like so cheesy, but it's like naming the thing and then it doesn't become so big. Um, but, or it helps me figure out like where I can outsource Mm -hmm. that. So if it's just a physical release I need, I can masturbate. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's not feeling close to my partner, maybe we need to have a chat and see why, or I need to have a chat with myself of why am I feeling distant or disconnected? Um, and so that helps me a little bit like what is, what is the feeling that I'm really after? What's the thing that's missing and what am I looking for? I love that. I mean, I think that that's kind of similar to what I was thinking about before too, in terms of like, what is the underlying need and what are people looking for, um, around the, when, with the whole quantity piece. Um, and I, I think the same is true with disappointment. A lot of times it's, it's not so much the disappointment, but it's like what this meant for you. Right. And did it, did the, was this like your only time to feel like you could really just be yourself your and like be in the zone and just be free from everything else that's going on in your life this week. And like this, it didn't happen. Yeah, that sucks. Right. And so how do we find another outlet for you to do that? Um, I think that's really important in terms of managing and, and how has sex become the only area that you right. can feel like you can do that? Exactly. Yeah. I think we all can be um, better at having more outlets for, um, whether it be for connection or for validation or for freedom, whatever it is that these things mean. Um, I think that putting that kind of pressure on a partner, if, especially if it's one partner, it's a lot to load on to that partner's plate and vice versa for yourself. And we already carry full plates in our lives. We don't need them to be heavier and um, and more filled up with that kind of pressure. So I think, you know, finding other ways is important to balance things out. And it also helps us manage the disappointment. And that pressure might make your partner less likely to meet you in that spot. Mm-hmm. Like, unless, unless it's some kind of like kinky 
physical pressure. Pressure is not usually a thing that makes sex great. Mm -hmm. That's usually an inhibitor. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, So feeling that pressure, I think, can make one not do it. And one other thing that I thought of um, before we wrap Mm -hmm. up, too, about that is that even if you're feeling disappointed and can't do the thing, like let's say they ran out of brownies and caramel, <laughs> maybe they have, um, maybe they have chocolate sprinkles right. and, and, uh, toffee bites or whatever. Yes. So like, maybe it's not the thing that you wanted, but are you willing to like take a snackable version of it? AKA like, okay, maybe we're not gonna have sex, but is my partner willing to let me tell them this fantasy or what I'm looking forward to doing with them when we both are in the space where we can do it? Which I think for some people they maybe are resistant to because then they're like, well, if I talk about it, then I want to do it. But I think for others, it can feel like, yeah, like you had a snack until you can have the full meal of like, okay, let me at least share what when we are free, here's what I'd like to do to you. I love that. And I think, you know, finding alternative ways to create pleasure and to connect or to fulfill whatever that underlying need is, is really important. Um, and, And often not as difficult as, as people think it will be. Um, and so I think that that's, that's great. Oh, Jen, this was such a good conversation. If I do say so myself, (laughs) it was lovely to chat with you, Nika. (laughs) Thanks so much for, for joining me. How can people find you find the course, um, hire you get in touch if you would like. Sure. Yeah. So um, they can reach out at our website at www.embracesexualwellness.com where they can contact us and follow us along on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle is Embrace Sexual Wellness on Instagram and Embrace Sex Wellness on Facebook. Before you go, get one more discount for Valentine's Day or anytime gift idea. Creativity is always appreciated on Valentine's Day, but especially this year. With so many limitations due to the pandemic, it's a good idea to stay in with a partner or your favorite sex toy. Like a Kitten, Couples Box has everything you need to help foster a fun-filled sexy night or day or morning or weekend. Right now, Like a Kitten is offering our listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or enter code S&S at checkout. Remember, even if you've been dating for decades, there is always more to learn about each other. Keep being curious. This box has ingredients to help heighten all of your senses, like delectable chocolate CBD body pain and strawberry lube. It also comes with a 10-speed heart vibe and an amazing dual arousal cock ring. It has lubes, toys, games, tools, and more. If you want to get a sneak peek, come check it out on my Instagram when I unbox my very own Like a Kitten gift. Also, Like a Kitten's mission is to help women own their power in all areas of life. A portion of all sales are going to a charity that focuses on women's empowerment, education, and health. So you can feel good about feeling good. Not like you need another reason to prioritize your pleasure, though. Right now, Like a Kitten is offering our listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or enter code S-A-N-D-S at checkout. Just go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or use promo code S&S to get 20% off. likeakitten.com slash S&S. 
Well, thanks so much for joining and welcome back everyone to the new season of Sluts and Scholars. Thanks for tuning in. I know it's a hard time for lots of folks. So if you need other resources and things, um, follow what I'm doing on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, uh, on Twitter at Slut Scholars, especially with new Instagram rules. I will probably be posting more on Twitter than I was before. And you can email me with uh, questions or if you need referrals at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Thank you.